Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Mark once again. Mark chapter 11, verse 20. Mark 11 and verse number 20. I'll read uh, verses 20 through 26. This is a follow-up story to the cursing of the fig tree and the lesson that the Lord wants to teach his disciples regarding that. Mark chapter 11, verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou curseth is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. For if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, the background of the story, of course, is the cursing of the fig tree. Jesus did that a day or so earlier. I think it was in the previous chapter. And here we find that the tree was dried up. Now, the text does not say so, but I and many others believe that the fig tree is a picture of the nation of Israel that does not produce fruits. And um, the Lord cursed it. I think it's a prophecy, a prediction that he's going to go to the Gentiles, which he does. But that's not what's taught in this passage as the Lord is explaining the fig tree. The essence of the lesson is that the tree didn't produce fruit. Okay, So the believer or whoever does not produce fruit, does not have power in his life. And I think what he's doing, this is my opinion, is he's drawing the connection between power and prayer. We don't have the power, and therefore not the fruit, because we're not praying. And so the Lord's answer in verse 22, Peter simply says, Master the fig tree which thou cursedest is withered away, just making a statement, an observation. And Jesus' answer is, have faith in God. And then he goes on to say that, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and it's more than just prayer, but what I want to do with this lesson here tonight is give you three conditions for prayer, or you could 
call them three conditions for power, for fruitfulness, however you want to apply this passage to your life. When I call them conditions for prayer, think in your mind, okay, they can also be conditions for a powerful life or a fruitful life. And so three of them that we want to look at from these verses. Now, there are many more conditions for prayer than just these three. Uh, We're just drawing these from this passage of Scripture. The first condition to prayer is faith. And it's uh, faith in God. And so I want to give you some significant facts about faith. The object of faith must be God. Notice he says, have faith in God. Faith always has an object. Faith does not exist without an object. There must always be an object to faith. We talk about faith sometimes as if there is no object. Somebody will relate to someone, well, so-and-so had a great faith. What do we mean by that? We probably mean they had religious expressions or some maybe some way they expressed their faith, but really what should we mean? We often use that illustration of faith in the chair. You're all sitting on the chair. Can you sit like you are without the chair? In the same position? No. You might be able to stand that way for a few seconds. <laughs> Maybe a longer. But you're not relaxed like you are sitting in the chair. You are resting on the chair. And we use the illustration, when you came in here, you didn't go around and test all the chairs to see whether you could sit in them, to see whether they would hold you up. Not that that would be a a bad thing to do, but, you know, usually, you know, once we sit in the chairs, now if you sat in the chair and it fell over, you'd be a little suspicious of it, right? But we've not seen anybody fall over in these chairs. And so we have faith in these chairs. Faith has an object. The the object of that faith is the chair. We don't think about all the ins and outs of all of that, the nuances of it, the, the construction of the chair and how it was made and all that sort of thing. But we exercise faith in an object. The same is true when we talk about spiritual faith. To me, it's like Thanksgiving. When we observe Thanksgiving, to whom... Are you thankful? Well, what are you thankful for? Well, to whom are you thankful? And I wonder sometimes when the world, uh, it's, it's usually America, I guess other countries have Thanksgiving too, I think Canada has one. But I ask myself, what to whom are we thankful? We say, you know, even in a non-Christian world, I'm thankful for my job, I'm thankful for my family, and so forth and so on. But to whom are you thankful? Ultimately, it should be God. So your thanks has an object. So faith has an object. And that object is God. The object of faith is God himself. So we have some critical words, that little prepositional phrase, of God is important. See, faith really has no value by itself. It's of no value. You can have all the faith you want to, but if you don't have an object to that faith, or you have the wrong object of that faith, Let's suppose, go back to the chair, you're going to put your faith in a chair that's broken. That if you did sit on it, you'd fall to the ground. That faith is valueless. 
in that because the object of your faith is not going to produce. Faith also has no power. No power to do anything. Jesus is going to tell his disciples, if you believe, if you have faith, that you could remove a mountain and cast it into the sea, and you don't doubt in your heart, now where is the power? In the faith? No. Faith has no power of its own. Just like it has no value of its own. Faith has an object. And when we are praying and asking the Lord for things, our faith is in God, who has power to do whatever needs to be done. It is the object that has the power. The chair has the power to hold you in the position you're sitting in at the moment. You don't have power. You can have all the faith that you want to, that I'm going to sit in that position without an object, without a chair. <laughs> and so you squat and, you know, and off you go, down to the floor. Your faith is valueless and uh, powerless without a proper object. Now, faith also requires knowing the object. We know that these chairs are going to hold uh, them up. There's an illustration given of, a, of two men who are going out on a frozen lake to fish. And one is the new fellow. He has never been out on the lake before, but he's been told the lake can hold you up. The ice is frozen and it can hold you up. And uh, so he gingerly begins to walk across the lake and he starts to hear cracking and noises. And he then either takes steps backwards or turns around and goes back. The other fellow courageously comes up to the, the lake, walks out very boldly, cuts a hole in the ice, sits down and starts fishing. What's the difference? The second man knows the ice. His faith is strong because of the object in which he's placing his faith and the knowledge he has about that object. Whereas the first man didn't know the ice. He heard the noises and he thought, oh, this is going to crack and fall and not hold me up. Well, the same thing is true with us as a believer. Some of us know the Lord. And even though the sounds of life around us make it sound like things aren't going to happen right, we know that it will because the object of our faith is God. Have faith in God. Now there's also a purpose of the faith. The object of our faith is God. The purpose of our faith is to remove mountains. Alright? It's illustrated in the text that Jesus is giving to us. Have faith in God. And then he says, For verily I say unto you, and, and when we have that, right, the verilies are there, truly I say unto you. It's not that Jesus at other times didn't tell the truth or told half-truths or told lies, and so now he's saying, hey, I'm telling you the truth, so verily I say unto He always tells the truth. Everything he says is verily, okay? But when he says it, he's trying to give us an assurance. He says, Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe, in, uh, believe that those things 
which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Okay, whosoever shall say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, shall have whatsoever he saith. Now it's in a context of have faith in God. Have faith in God. And I personally believe that the Lord is using an illustration. I don't think it's God's will for us to call for mountains to be removed and cast into the sea on a regular, literal basis. I think he's talking about the Lord doing impossible things. We have the tendency to think, oh, well, he's talking about a person with great faith. Remember, faith has no value of its own. It has no power of its own. The removal of the mountain is not due to a man's faith. It is due to a God who can remove the mountain. Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? God specializes in doing things impossible. God can do the impossible. And so we need to pray with faith. The object of our faith must be God. The purpose of our faith is to remove mountains or to do the impossible. (laughs) We pray in a strange way sometimes, don't we? And then faith must be possessed. And it's kind of a circular thing here. How do you get faith? By praying. Look at the text again. Verse 23 You say, be thou moved, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. Now we read in other places that one of the conditions for prayer is the will of God. So we may pray for an impossible thing that is not the will of God. One of the conditions for prayer. Jesus isn't bringing that out here. But if you compare Scripture with Scripture, you're not going to pray for God to do some impossible thing that is not His will. You're going to pray for things that are His will, but are impossible. Humanly speaking, impossible. And again, your human faith does not have the power to do it. But the object of your faith can change things. So, the purpose of prayer is to remove the mountains the way to possess that faith is to pray. And then there's the result of that faith. Okay, The mountain is removed. Whatever he does, whatever he asks, he shall have whatsoever he saith. The end of verse number 23 there. So the power to do whatever the impossible thing is. So the first condition for prayer, the first condition for having power in your life, the first condition for doing whatever God wants you to do, is faith. The second one is expectancy. Expectancy. He brings that out a little bit in verse 23, and then uh, again in verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Now again, we put other scriptures together with this. Delight yourself in the Lord and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. So this desire of the heart may seem like an impossible thing. God can do it. And we pray believing. Notice what He says here. 
Back in verse 23, he said, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. And then here in verse 24, he says, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. So there is faith is the first thing. The, the second thing we're saying, second condition, is expectancy. We expect God to do. Kind of reminds us of the story we looked at this morning with the disciples praying for Peter. I guess the text really doesn't tell us what they were praying for. Were they actually praying for him to be released? But they were praying. And then when he was released, they said, Rhoda gave that report uh, to the disciples, and they thought it must be his ghost. (laughs) And so they didn't believe that he was there expecting things to happen, or rather praying, but really not expecting things to happen. I think here is where our emotions and our will needs to be involved in this. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. Look at a couple of texts here. We won't have too many of them to look at. 1 John 5 and verses 14 and 15. We can go many, many places in the Bible, of course, to find some lessons in prayer. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. There's a desire there. So the emotions are involved with this. What do we desire? Do we really want God to do something? Whatever issue it is. Are the emotions engaged? And then he asks. Alright, that's the will. So the emotion and the will is involved there. In James chapter 1 and verse 6, they, he's talking about, I think it's the context of any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. But then it says, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of a sea driven with the wind and tossed. James 1 and verse 6. So we need to pray in faith believing. Let's also go to some texts in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. Matthew 21, 22. Well, it's the context of the fig tree. Let's read the text. Let's read the whole uh, paragraph, verse 18 through 22. Now, in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let not fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now again, I think there's probably a little bit of a prophecy here for what the early disciples were doing where they were 
able to perform miracles. But nonetheless, the principle is here. We pray asking in faith. We pray expecting God to do what it is that we are asking. So there's expectancy. And then there is the third condition for prayer that's brought out in our Mark text. Mark chapter 11 and verse number 25. And when ye stand, pray. Right, now, he may not have been talking about prayer necessarily up until this point, but here he certainly is talking about prayer uh, using the illustration that we read there just in Matthew 21, the cursing of a fig tree or the moving of a mountain, all to, of course, be done by faith and with expectancy that the Lord can do these things. But now he's certainly talking about prayer. If he hadn't been talking about it before, so three conditions for prayer or three conditions for having fruit in your life or having power manifested in your life. One is to pray in faith. The other is to pray expectantly. And the third is to pray in forgiveness. When ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father, which also is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So the third condition to prayer, again, there are many more conditions for prayer. We're just looking at these three in this passage. This is a critical condition in prayer. It's a condition that's stressed more than once in the life and ministry of Christ. Are you still in Matthew? If not, let's go to Matthew. Let's look at these passages. Matthew chapter 5, and then 6, and then 18. Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest not that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. And then when the Sermon on the Mount was given in chapter 6 of Matthew, chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15, part of the Lord's Prayer, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Then again in Matthew chapter 18, Verses 32 and 33. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all thy debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Pity your compassion and forgiveness for you. So the principle is there. This young man, this, this ruler was forgiven, but he did not forgive, so now the master was not going to forgive him. It's interesting when Mark is talking about this, recording what Jesus said, that it says, when ye stand, pray. There in Matthew 5, he's talking about offering an offering and giving it to the Lord. And when you're giving the offering, if you have ought against your brother, leave the offering there, go and reconcile with our brother. But here in Mark... He is talking about praying, and he says, While ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any. 
So do the forgiving right there while you're praying. So two different scenarios about forgiveness there. One while you're praying, one while you're making an offering. Here's the principle. No request for forgiveness, because that's part of our prayers. Lord, forgive us our trespasses. Uh, No forgiveness is granted unless a man has completely forgiven all others. So we need to learn to forgive. Yes, people will do things against us. They will violate us. They will sin against us. They will tell us one thing, do another. Uh, All over the place, people do that. And it's so easy to not forgive. But the Lord wants us to forgive. And forgive as Christ also hath forgiven you. You have sins. Aren't you glad that God forgave you? And so we need to learn forgiveness. And it really doesn't matter what the trespass is. There are no conditions or echelons. Well, this sin can be forgiven a little bit. This one, uh, maybe maybe 80% on that one. Okay, I can give 100% on that one. Now, all of them are to be forgiven 100%. We don't think like that, do we? We think, oh, I can forgive that, but not that. And we make conditions. But the Lord is telling us that there is uh, forgiveness to be happening all the time. Let's see, I'm in Matthew 18. Let me back up again to Matthew 5 and verse 7. Matthew 5 and verse 7. In the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful. Merciful has the concept of forgiveness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Same principle. When I forgive, I exercise mercy, I get mercy back. And then the same thing in Luke 6, a parallel passage to this. Luke chapter 6, verses 36 and 37. Luke 6, 36. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, etc. So, it's the principle of you you reap what you sow. Okay, so if you sow unforgiveness, you reap unforgiveness. If you sow mercy, you reap mercy. If you sow judgment you reap judgment back. If you sow condemnation, you reap that back. And so, what we said this way, what goes around comes around. It's built on this principle of reaping and sowing. And so the principle is there. We get forgiveness from God by forgiving others. So when we're praying, we're powerless, we're unfruitful in our lives when we do not forgive. So three conditions. Have faith in God. Expect God to do something. And be forgiving. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to look at this lesson taught by the Lord Jesus to his disciples. Some of these can be hard lessons, but we pray for the grace to learn the lessons. 
We pray for the help to get answers to our prayers, to find the power we need to live the Christian life, to to be fruitful, a fig tree that is producing fruit, not just outward leaves that look like we're producing. And as we look at these conditions for being fruitful, help us to measure them and mark them in our own lives. And be men and women of faith, be men and women of expectancy, and men and women of forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 270, the haven of rest. Let's stand together as we sing. If you need to do business with the Lord in any matter, we ask you to do that. Okay? My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea. So burdened with sin and distress Till I heard a sweet voice saying Make me your choice And I had... This is Dr. Lee Hennice And we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again.